Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a tall glass of podcast. How's everyone doing out there? My name is Mike, and I'm joined as always by the the indelible Jim. Jim, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Congratulations are in order, by the way. Thank you, Jim. But I don't think the public out there needs to know about how many kids and stuff I have. I think we need to keep some of that. It's a big private, day. But, hey, uh, hey. I had a child, and uh, things are good. Everything is is good. I can't say the same for the people of Ukraine, which is what today's topic is about. And I know folks out there, you hear a lot about different opinions about uh, what might be going on in the political sphere of the of the globe. But uh, maybe take an opinion from a couple of laymen of, of how we feel and how we sit um, viewing this situation that's unfolding over in Ukraine. Jimmy was in the military, he has some different background. And again, I'm just a layman, but uh, I think it's an interesting topic. And I think it's important that we kind of hash out different facts and folks out, uh, you know, listening, I think you, you, you may have uh, similar opinions to what we're, what we're, uh, we're going to be getting at and how we're viewing the situation unfolding. Uh, obviously, yeah. we don't want to insult anybody. Uh, we don't want to. Uh, uh, I know here in Ohio, we have actually a very large Ukrainian population, especially like in Parma, mm-hmm. uh, in different cities. There's a. Ma- I have a lot of customers who are Ukrainian. From straight off the boat, like first first generation immigrants. Yeah. Um, and then you have people, you know, of Russian descent. So obviously, we're not trying to uh, insult anybody or discredit any opinions we're just kind of in this episode going to be spitballing all our all our thoughts on it because it is news yeah so uh let's launch right into it i think uh jim i think we could uh shoot over to you i'd like you to tell us a little bit about a background of of what's going on over there yeah lots to unpack obviously um break it down trying to trying to distill all all the this different you know components this is is impossible so try to just hit some of the big picture things but essentially um leading up to this invasion that's occurred over the past two weeks was over the past 30 years since the fall of the soviet union um you had nato which is obviously the alliance uh northern atlantic treaty organization that basically was created to stop the soviet union's uh, advances across the world. The NATO basically won the Cold War and Soviet Union fell and countries like Ukraine and um, other Soviet bloc countries became their own nations. And over the last 30 years, Russia has become more and more wary and frustrated with NATO and its continued expansion. So not only did a lot of the countries that were former Soviet bloc gain independence, but they also then were over the last 30 years invited to actually join nato um and who else i mean i'm just curious because i I hear this as well and i'm thinking and i didn't take the time to look at a soviet era map but like who else was part of it that is no longer part of the soviet union because yeah a lot of the balkan countries so that would be like the the serbia area they're not actually part of nato but like um, the ones with the boundary lines keep changing and flopping but it's correct correct and then you have a lot of like the baltic nations too up north so like poland uh estonia Mm -hmm. latvia lithuania um those nations i want to say something real quick folks this is not going to be a super funny episode, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna try. Uh, we'll try to. We're gonna try. But, I, I have uh, some parts in here that. Uh, there's I'm a lot. Of, to... <laughs> there's a lot of information, but go yeah. ahead, Jim. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's flip the script, the script here, because as Americans, we suck at this. But let's imagine, you know, Russia basically um, gaining major alliances all throughout Latin America, leading up to basically Mexico, right on our border, and putting all tons of ass in terms of weaponry and missiles and other things that are a direct threat to Moscow well, or DC, like in our back. A, a threat to us. Well, let's not pretend. Correct. I mean, I, I draw a lot of similarities between this and the Cuban missile crisis. Think about that. Cuba was less than a hundred 
100 miles away from our southern coast. And as soon as Russia started to militarize and build missile bases on Cuba, we took notice. The West took notice. Correct. In a big way. Correct. Yeah. And, and that's the whole leading up to this invasion. There's a lot of, at least for me, understanding the, the some of the history behind it. I understood a lot of the the frustrations and misgivings that like Vladimir Putin and a lot of Russian leaders who grew up in the Soviet Union times, they felt toward like the American, the Americans and NATO as a whole, like basically the Soviet Union fell. There was like assurances never in writing that NATO would never continue to expand east. And it just kept right. going and going to the point where as recently as, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, we were talking about adding Ukraine um, to NATO. I mean, this things never materialized because then in 2013 or 2014, you had the Russians annex Crimea and basically do a very limited invasion into the southern portion of Ukraine. So, um, you know, it's kind of like a red line, I think, for, for Russia. But um, well, I think it's, it's it, it too, it comes down to like, I mean, broader speaking, like an Eastern versus Western. I mean, from the beginning of established nations, it's always kind of been in like a Western values, Western ideals versus Eastern values. If there was a, if there was a NATO in, I mean, I'm sure there is, there's gotta be some organization that unites communist countries, China, Russia. Yeah. Cuba, that's the weird thing too, Venezuela. though, because Russia since the fall of the Soviet Union really isn't, they're not communist. They still have a totalitarian leader, but they're, for all intents and purposes, a westernized nation. They have McDonald's and Starbucks and, you know, they're not your typical, they're not the same as they were as like the Soviet Union where they like truly were communist in nature. So um, I see what you're saying, but my, but as far as like, if we could throw a label on it, yeah, okay, they've got McDonald's, but China also has McDonald's. We yeah. know that there is one party in charge and there's a lot of top-down aggression, top-down right. authoritarianism, um, yeah, that's how they run their countries. That's the Eastern philosophy. I, I broadly call it Eastern philosophy, but I'm talking about those specific countries. Yeah, and it's basically them, and then there's us, and what you, I mean, perceived de democratic countries. I mean, I know we have our own problems as well, but I feel like the thought, the 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 threat of them growing and becoming bigger than us is the same as is how they feel threatened by us and our western values nato growing becoming powerful against them it's just yeah two sides I mean, of the same coin yeah and we, we won the the cult war so we kind of get to dictate as the western world and america being the the predominant uh country of the west we get to kind of dictate the terms which is you know, that's just the way that the, the history of the world has been shaped. Winners, winners write history. So that's right. It, I, my, my issue is not necessarily that we've done the things we've done. It's that we seem like we're surprised when Russia's upset about those things and, and lashes out in the way yeah. that they have. Um, sure. Now, I will say, if you had asked me three weeks ago before the invasion began, you know, my, my, my thought was he's, Putin's probably going to march the the Russian military into that contested region of like the Donbass and Donetsk area, which is basically southeastern Ukraine, which is right. basically since he annexed Crimea eight years ago, it's essentially been a Russian controlled. The people there speak Russian for the most part, from my understanding. Yeah, yeah. It's a very pro-Russian area of Ukraine. And my thought was he was going to basically create everything from the Crimean Peninsula, which he already took all the way back into Russia, an actual, you know, uh, try to redraw the border there. I had no um, thought that he was going to try to invade the, the nation as a whole and like sack the capital and remove the, the government in place. And that's where, you know, like I said, there's, or I haven't said it yet, but, you know, alluding to, there's plenty of blame to go around as to why Russia acts the way they do. And a lot of it has to do with NATO and our actions. The idea of like him just deciding to unprovoked invade a sovereign nation with the intent of like overthrowing the government and not just establishing like that, like I said, that like corridor in the southeastern region. Um, that's that's entirely you know on Putin and 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 should be met with very harsh um, consequences in my opinion um, because you got you you cannot 
stand idly by while one nation unprovoked, you know, um, attacks a and tries to sack a, a sovereign nation. Now, that being said, not standing idly by, there's there's plenty of ways to go about what that means. And, you know, uh, for me, um, as a former member of the military and just an American citizen and a walker of this earth, I have zero desire to engage in a war of any type with a, a nuclear armed nation to include um, even the slightest hint of direct confrontation between NATO and Russia, because whether it's a one to 10% chance that it would actually get nuclear, um, the escalation ladder to me is nowhere near worth like the risk or the reward of like saving Ukraine is not worth the risk of potential like annihilation of the world. Right. So, so I think it was, I don't know who said it. This is a great quote though, but I, I don't know who said it, but they said once after nuclear bombs were, after nuclear weapons were invented, they said, uh, I do not know of which type of weapons world war, I'm paraphrasing. I do not know of which weapons world war four will be fought with or no, let me, let me hold on folks. I've had a couple of drinks. Let me go back. I do not know of what weapons world war three will be fought with, but I do know that world war four will be fought with sticks and stones. Yep. In that we've, our technology has grown so much and like, there's that mutual, what is it? Mutual affirmed destruction. Mutually assured destruction. Yeah. Mutually assured destruction to where like, there's kind of like a stalemate as far as these opposing power points that like, well, my understanding is it's it's, first move. It's baked, it's baked into Russian and American military doctrine that confrontation that would even start at like the ground force level, the escalation ladder would lead to nuclear war. As as wild as that sounds and as like doomsday-ish it is, and you would think no rational person would do that. When, when the other person has that capability, you're going to be the one to want to get there first. And you can't just trust that they're not going to go down that route. So all that is to say, yeah, yeah. we at all costs, for the sake of the world, for the sake of the Ukrainians, for the sake of both sides of this engagement, cannot accidentally trigger a World War III nuclear war scenario over the sovereignty of Ukraine, period. Can't happen. Jim, you, you really jumped into it. You just really <laughs> got to the worst case, what, a couple minutes into this podcast, and you really just laid out the worst case scenario. I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, I didn't know that we were, you know, I mean, I, uh, stuff like that is always a possibility, but uh, I always thought it was like way off into the distance, like never going to happen. This is all. Yeah, theater. I think it just. I think it can just. It can escalate quickly. I mean, you hear, you hear stories of the Cold War, like the Cuban Missile Crisis came very close to nuclear confrontation. Like, yeah, all it takes is someone not fully understanding what the intention of the other side is. You know, I'll use this example of. There's been a lot of talk right now, which thank God, you know, I mean, this administration, I have more issues with than I do, uh, you know, positive things to say. But one of the things I've been very appreciative of is one, the no boots on the ground, you know, American forces in Ukraine, they're not fucking part of NATO. So we have no alliance to, you know, engage our forces there. Uh, and I don't, the American public would not, you know, support it in the slightest, but I there's, so at all. there's been a lot of push for this idea of like a no fly zone or like arming, the ukrainians with like american fighter jets and it's like look i know we're giving them like javelin missiles and anti-tank missiles which there's an argument to be made we shouldn't even be fucking doing that but the idea of giving them like strategic level fighter jets or the idea of we're going to enforce a no-fly zone meaning if a russian aircraft enters ukrainian airspace and we have a no-fly zone we shoot that aircraft down that immediately okay to do that well, before NATO you say, before has you... to shoot down a russian aircraft to do okay. that which right. would speak which would start 
a NATO yes, versus Russia war. But, but but here's my question. I hear this red line shit all the time, Jim. I hear these rules all the time. And I know, as much as anyone else knows, that these, without enforcement, this means nothing. We talked, you know, who was that guy who was who was gassing his own citizens? This was years ago. In Omar Syria, Gaddafi. Assad? Yeah, Assad. How many times did that red line get moved? Well, that's why you don't. That's why you don't draw the the red line, in my opinion. That's but, why but you don't. I, you don't say look, we're going to do a no fly zone because then you have to enforce that no fly zone. But, which... but but what I'm saying is, if they say okay, we no fly zone, you can't do that. And then okay, sure shit, here comes a no, here comes a plane overhead, boom boom, shot it down. Oh, you know what? It was just a bunch of rebels, a bunch of Russian separatists acting uh, beyond the orders of the Kremlin. This is just so that they don't have to escalate this fight any more than they have to. You know what I mean? Like without like enforcement, what does any of this mean? Enforcement and what in what part are you talking about right now? You're talking about like the Russians enforcing if we shot down an aircraft, like their Correct. escalation? Correct. Is it worth the risk? <laughs> I mean, you might be That's right. They wouldn't no, they might not, not respond. Worth- they might not respond, but let's say there's a 10% chance they would respond. Now we're yeah. in World War Three. It's not worth it. Right. It's right. not worth it. I I thought there was a less than ten percent chance that well, he wait would what if they made... get shot down and then our side says, "Oh, you know what? That was some guys acting uh, without our orders." You know what I mean? Like I feel like that's what would happen afterwards. It would just be deniability, deniability, just to, and then these things would just continue to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not I'm not willing personally to gamble like the fate of mankind on like. Oh. Maybe that we'll be able to fool them into thinking it was some separatists, or like maybe we'll be able to de- yeah. deny our way out of it. Like it's the Russians have fool- pretty strong. It's not technology. even about fooling him. My question is whether or not this is just all grandstanding, puffing a chest. That's my question. And at the end of the day, are the guys that are are, are in these smoke-filled rooms? Are they just saying, "Hey, you know, let's make a let's make theater of this"? I mean, they're I bombing know. cities. It's not like it's just a troop mess at the yeah. border. You know, I mean, they're. Yeah. They're invading a country with the intent of sacking the government. So, by the way, and I just want to go back to the history real, real quick, folks. Folks at home, I don't know if you knew this, um, but I believe that like thirty percent, somewhere around that number, thirty percent of Ukrainians speak Russian as a first language, and that back in Stalin's time, you remember Stalin mm-hmm. before the Soviet Union. He moved I mean, he was a lot the, of. He was kind of the the first major leader of the Soviet Union, but correct, yeah. correct. He moved a lot of native Ukrainians out of Ukraine and imported, like I guess at that time, Russian people into Ukraine. So a lot of them are kind of displaced as it is. A lot of that country's, uh, I guess I would say you question how much of their population actually has allegiance to the country that they live in, which I guess is a foreign concept to us, right? In the, in the, in the United States, but 30% is a pretty large number for, uh, for the amount of people that are there. Yeah. I, I feel for the people of Ukraine. I wish russia did not invade i think it's completely wrong that they did that um i think that the argument that it's nato's advancement that caused this is a very it's no longer valid when you see what putin's army is currently doing trying to basically sack the country it's more the to me the intent behind his doings right now and this this whole invasion is he just honestly believes that Ukraine really isn't its own sovereign nation. And, you know, it's not even the Soviet Union. Like it's it's like back before the Soviet Union, like the Russian czar empire is like he's trying to reestablish lines so that especially countries that border what is Russia today are essentially going to be governed by Russian appointed leaders that are Mm -hmm. essentially puppet governments. Um, Well, that's what they said that they had back in 2014. That Viktor Yanukovych, who was ousted. Yeah, but he's he's like now fighting Putin in the streets. Like he's like taking up arms in Kiev. So, um, but yeah, he's he was more pro Russia than 
the current guy, Zelensky. So, right. um, I mean, like I, like I was saying, I, I, I feel like I, I think we should be providing, you know, aid and, and to some extent lethal aid, not, I don't, I'm not on board with like the amount of weaponry that we've flown into Ukraine um, for a lot of reasons. But um, at the end of the day, Ukraine is not like this. This is going to sound like harsh and cold, but this is just the truth. Ukraine is not a strategic ally of the United States. We are not, I am kind of an isolationist and I am not a fan of being in the business of like going to war and trying to be like the world's moral police, especially when the country that we're trying to like stop is not, you know, some like third world military, like the Russian military has a vast amount of capabilities. And even if we won the war, I mean, what's going to be left of this country and and the rest of the world in that situation. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a proponent of, you know, this, this not, and this not isolationist, it's interesting because I think like our generation, this younger millennial generation, a lot of us feel like we have this non, non-interventionist mentality. I mean, and think about it. A lot we of grew that, up during the fucking a lot of war on yes. terror so, and the, so, the shit right. show that was the past right. 20 years of right. foreign policy and the, right. the, the 20 years of globalism before that that caused right. this. We're like, because we outsourced our economy to all these nations, whether it's dependence yeah. on oil in the Middle East yeah. or dependence on manufacturing in China, we have to involve ourselves in all these world affairs because all these goddamn corporations decided but they can make an extra buck and like increase right. stock market by outsourcing everything. So now we're involved in <laughs> now we're involved in every single thing that goes on and our economy takes a, a, a shit every time something happens because we're so dependent globally. Um, yeah. I mean, this gets, this gets, this gets to, you basically walked into my next, my next point in all this is, you know, if, if COVID, the supply chain issues with COVID and all the issues we had in the beginning of getting like prescription drugs out of China, and if this crisis with oil has like taught us anything is, or if, if it can teach us anything as like American domestic policy, we have got to stop doing business in parts of the world that are like incredibly sketchy, mal, like bad actors. We have to stop doing that. Like it's not, well, yeah. What like, you, what are you talking about, bad actors? Though, because we get a lot of our oil, oil from the Saudi Arabians, who have like a yeah, track yeah. record of atrocious, yes. you know, doings. The Russians are bad actors. The Chinese are bad actors. Like, I'm well, fine with Russians getting cars will... from South Korea. They're a strategic ally. I'm fine yeah. with getting stuff from Europe. They're a strategic ally. But why are right. we getting in bed with like otherwise? Well, you're talking about getting uh, into the WTO. good yeah i mean i I don't know if i i don't i'm not educated enough to just like abolish it all together but jesus we have to make stuff at home before the wto china was an agrarian farming country i mean they they were nothing before the wto and we opened up trade i mean yeah um, i think it would be there would there would be a painful thing the country the united the country would have to change fundamentally our country would have to change fundamentally in order to break ties with um but think about it totalitarian governments but I, I in the long run i'm with you i think it would be beneficial to the well, american about, business man, like this class okay so the promise of globalism was hey there are other parts of the world that can produce what we're trying to consume at a cheaper and better efficiency because maybe the land is more um more conducive or they have the labor force or whatever. So let's, let's right. trade with them instead of trying to create everything here and benefits corporations make more higher profits because they have lower expenses. Um, cause they pay their people less, um, stock market goes up, you know, our economy grows. Okay. That's the benefits. And that's great during the good times. And really it's not, I mean, it's not great. There's an argument to be made that like, even though you can get a, you can get things for dirt cheap at Walmart and Amazon because everything's outsourced. All that does is like take jobs out of the United States, which hurts us. So, you know, I mean, there's a, there's positives and negatives, but that's during the good times during bad times, COVID this crisis, when things get hairy and our assets and the things we need are stuck in a location we can't get to. 
prices skyrocket and then we have things like this inflation issue going on it's like okay right so all of the negatives of globalism still exist jobs are hard to come by in the united states we're reliant on other locations for stuff and then our the labor only- our labor force has atrophied because exactly and then the only yeah. positive the positives being lower prices um at the grocery store for stuff go right. to shit because we can't get the stuff so basically it only is like somewhat good during the good times which I mean, are, are fewer and farther between anymore. I mean, this world is just, it's, it's a wild, um, wild place. And not to say it always hasn't been that way, but we're just so much more connected globally than we ever have been. And right. that means every goddamn crisis that happens all over the world affects our shores more than it should. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, like you said, and, and we're going to feel it. I mean, gas prices, it's like four bucks a gallon now. I was just driving. I just was uh, going to fill up on gas. That hurt a little bit. Of course, I have to pass that expense on to my customers, but that's <laughs> that's just how it goes. Yeah. So, uh, but everyone's going to have to feel that pain because mm-hmm. that is uh, what we're experiencing. Part of me, though, also says like, well, uh are we taking advantage of these countries physically? Um, are we are we taking from them the resources they have? Maybe we have these resources in the case of gas. Maybe we have oil reserves. I know we have oil reserves. Yeah. Um, and in that case, from a fiscal standpoint, Jim, I'm going to disagree and say, at this point, we should be taking from them at whatever price we can get it. That way, when their reserves run out, we have our reserves. We can flip it and turn around and sell it to them for five times the amount or whatever it might be. Let's hold on to what we have, bear the pain, keep taking that natural resource from them. And, you know, when they're used up and spent, we still have what we have left. I don't know what kind of reserve, what numbers I'm talking about. They, we might yeah, have yeah. zero reserves left. I think Biden went through. 60 no it was like 90 million barrels or something like that he released in order to kind of shore prices on our, yeah. on our gas prices and that was gone in three days by the way we went through 90 million barrels of oil in three days because we're a 30 million dollar a day country when it comes to oil so that's a lot that's a lot going into it but uh i don't know Part of me says, is it all a financially strategic move we're doing? Are we robbing from them or whatever? We, you know, negotiating with, and only one fifth, one fifth of our oil comes from Russia to give back. Not even. Not apparently, it's like ten percent. Yeah, it's low. Not much, but there's something weird about it. It still affects. It affects the the commodity, the oil market as a whole, which impacts prices. The oil is something weird happens where like the whole market goes up. Whenever anyone's feeling hurt, the whole market goes up. I, there's some weird rule. I, I'm not sure how it all. But yeah, it's got systemic effects. Well, uh, so, so and and I think the right talking point right now, like the right side of the aisle talking point, is you know, well, you shouldn't shut down the pipeline, and we we should, that's why we should be drilling at home and not, you know, buying abroad and like. I don't think the answer is more drilling. Like you said, I don't think it's a shortage of oil here. I think it's how we're positioned. Um, Not to say I agree with like shutting down the pipeline, but I don't think that that like in the near term would like fix gasoline prices right now, because my understanding is it takes a while to get things up and running at new refineries. Um, Now, granted, there's a lot of refineries apparently nationwide that are like the lease is still held, but they're not being drilled right now because like the companies are still waiting for like payouts from the government over the COVID negative oil prices that were happening two years ago because no one was driving. I don't really know right. the details of that, but right. what I'm trying to say is, okay, so the year is 2022. We have all this technology. We recognize mm-hmm. like even people who are total anti, you know, climate change can recognize that like oil and, and drilling is like, not good for the environment. And we have opportunities for renewable forms of energy, but we require massive, massive infrastructure to be built, whether it's nuclear yeah. power, 
or I think yeah. solar and wind are kind of stupid, to be honest. They like don't have much yield, but nuclear power is well, electricity, um, nuclear power, powering electricity, electricity, like electric cars and stuff like that. Like we can, it's, we it's can very change. clean too. It, 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 yes. It's controlled and we could realistically speaking, and this is not my idea. I don't want to take any credit for this. It's just some podcasts I listen to, but realistically speaking, we could undergo a, jobs program in the united states over the next couple decades to really build out the nuclear grid here and it would accomplish a lot of things because it would remove our dependence on things like natural gas and oil which is you know controlled by external factors like the market and two all the the climate the, the 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 green climate um you know super conscious of the environment people um nuclear energy is very clean. So you can't really, people do throw stones at it because of like meltdown events like Chernobyl and stuff, but yeah, um, you know, that that's a different time period and a different country than here. And right. it's, it's just, it, the return on energy yield is great. And the, the cleanliness of the actual energy itself, is not like damaging the environment unless a meltdown happens, which, you know, um, are so few and far between compared to issues at coal plants and, you know, oh, uh, other places. Yeah. So, yeah. um, because like we, ha- okay. We're in where we're at. Like we, we have to deal with the fact that gas prices are skyrocketing and Americans are, are feeling the pain. We have to deal with that in the short term, which means getting the fucking Arabs and OPEC to drill more and provide us more oil since they're being yep. stingy. We have to, <laughs> Um, we got to do a lot of those things. Like we have to probably drill more here in the U S not necessarily new, new drilling, but amp up the production at the already existing places. But those are all, those are all fucking band-aids. They're like the same as like the student loan forgiveness. Like they address the immediate problem, but we have to get to the root cause of this, which is like a dependence on shit that we need to get off of. And we need to do that through a systematic approach over time that could one not only like improve our standing and our our more reliant on ourselves but two could be like a massive jobs program kind of like a new new deal um you know 100 years later so right no i mean we're talking about and and i mean it's funny we've gotten to this point we started out talking about ukraine now you're talking about jobs but shit's uh, all tied you know i mean yeah yeah, yeah. but it's funny you say that like i was just listening to some interviews uh from some coal miners who work in West Virginia and they're talking about like you people don't understand like this, this whole state runs on coal jobs without coal jobs. Everybody, like everybody works for the coal mine. Everybody works for the coal mine in this state. And without those jobs, drugs, crime, everything else, this, this, this state will sink into direct poverty. And on my way to visit you not too long ago, we had to stop in West Virginia and we had to get gas there. And I couldn't help but think like a lot of poverty. You say jobs. These all could be jobs in, in these, these nuclear plants where these people are picking up like, I mean, entry-level jobs. I mean, it's just, it's factory work at the end of the day, right? It's regulation. Yep. It's regulatory work. It's this, you have to make sure that this dial stays between this number, this number, you, you, that's what you're in charge of. These people don't have to go get degrees. They're not the ones that are designing the freaking reactors. Right. These are people who could just be looking at dials, looking at gauges. You know, I've, I've done plumbing work at a, uh, coal powered um uh a coal powered power plant here in ohio and there's just people like me blue collar guys that 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 staff this coal power uh coal power power plant that has this one um steam power generator that or not steam power but coal powered uh, uh turbine that continues to go and chug but it's just regular guys that are that are manning this thing, that are watching this thing. They have a couple engineers that sit inside of an office and they watch the levels and numbers. But everybody else in that whole facility, because it takes more than just them to run that facility. And I think, uh, like you're saying, that would open up entry level jobs from people who are just, you know, coming right out of high school. The people who are in um, those old coal states, they could they could populate those jobs and populate those plants that'd yeah. be great exactly where's the, where's, the, where's the pushback coming from 
uh, big oil lobbyists and ah, okay. and yeah. elected officials <laughs> yeah. that are in the pockets yeah. of those big oil lobbyists. Um, yeah, but big oil, they're, they're getting cut at every, uh, I mean, uh, they've been cut pretty bad, aren't they? Here and there, I mean. Yeah, compared to like 10, 15 years ago, I would agree. Yeah, um, yeah I think it's a, I think it's a reluctance to move on to. Um, yeah. There's a lot so of factors back, at play. Getting back to Russia, though, I have one other thing that I want to say. At least one other thing. Who are we dealing with here? We're dealing with Putin, right? Mm-hmm. Folks at home, I don't know if you know this, but like Putin used to be in the KGB. He did. So he's probably killed people. Mm, yeah, he's probably a lot. He's probably tortured people. Um. As far as world leaders go, he's, he's, I don't want to say special, but he's kind of different than what we may have dealt with in the past, as far as like, like superpowers go, right? I don't think Donald Trump's killed anybody. I don't think Biden's killed anybody. Um, and what I, and why I bring that up is like, how do you get inside of the mind of a guy like that? What does he want? And I know it's not just him. He's got big business in his country and tradition in his country. But like, is he going to stop? Like, what? what is he? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the million dollar, you know, question. Um, I would say that he he's a hyper nationalist, not even so much like Soviet nationalist, like like I said, this goes back more to like even pre-Soviet. Like that's Russian the first time I'm hearing czar. that. You're like he's a he's like a czarist, like yeah. Because in like, in that speech he gave before the invasion a couple weeks ago, he gave a long speech that he basically said, like Lenin, who you know began the Soviet Bolshevik revolution yes, and all that, absolutely. basically said like Lenin was wrong for allowing Ukraine to become its own republic and stuff like that, and like. He doesn't – I mean, uh, he grew up on in the Soviet Union, so he definitely shares some ideology there. But I don't think it's like that communist ideology of the Soviet Union. I think it's more of just like the the Russian empire and the belief that like ethnic Russians and like Slavs are part of what he believes to be like Mother Russia and like – or the spheres of influence around Russia. I think he cannot stand – the way Russia's world standing has fallen over the course of his life from when he was in the KGB and under the Soviet Union. And it was the you know, number two superpower in the world to now, I mean, their economy is like smaller than, you know, mo- a lot of States in the United States is economy. Yeah. It's pretty yeah. insane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, I mean, there's, there's some questions about his like mental health and fitness because he did just like decide to invade, but I mean, Jesus Christ, look at our guy. So he can't. Yeah. Uh, he's having a hard time getting through uh, any any public speaking engagement. So. Um, yeah. He called Ukraine something else besides Ukraine. I can't remember. What I think he was. called them like, Iranians. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, what? That's. Is, I don't really care about that. Like a, a slip up is fine. Yeah. It's more just like the general cognitive I mean, decline we, we that's occurred. Well, yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say we were around when Bush was was in office, so slip up here and there is, is yeah. what it is, right? <laughs> but uh, no, it's interesting that you say that because that seems to be like I I like to think of North Korea, like that guy's a lunatic, right? And their economy shrinks and shrinks and shrinks and shrinks, and the people are starving. Yeah, he they doesn't give no a fuck. Yep. He doesn't give. He doesn't give a fuck. And that's like, how Putin is. I really think that these sanctions are not going to do anything except like but, punish these Russian citizens, which sucks. Like right, they're right, not responsible right. for this shit, and it's exactly. just going to piss them off more. And but I think the difference is, is he's Putin saying, "I'm not going to end up alone with my people dead, and and I'm in this ivory tower. I'm going to take as much as I can yep. before it gets to that point." Because and think I about am, it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, I, I am, I'm in that same position where my will vows to be done. And what I think needs to be done for this country will be done at, at 
the sacrifice of I don't know how many lives. I think, but it's what I feel needs to be done. Yeah, and I, I think my whole kind of rant that I went on about like the United States needing to do things ourselves. I think he has that same belief in Russia. He's like, I don't care if I cut all ties with the with the world and they stop. Like, good. I want Russia to be back to the way it was when I was growing up, where like we were our own world essentially we did everything ourselves we didn't rely on anyone else and i think there's also a belief like it's almost like a nihilist belief in russia of like well if we can't be a world superpower then like nobody is allowed to be and we're just gonna destroy the world like it's a very fatalistic view but it's like you know what are you gonna do sanction me i don't care i'm you know we're, we're gonna weather the storm because i mean there's like that whole adage, like never underestimate the Russian people's uh, tolerance for suffering because the amount of people that they lost in the world wars and, and just how that their culture oh, yeah. is so much more collectively centered than ours. Like Americans, yes. we bitch about everything. They're much more just kind of stoic people. And um, yes. I really think he's like, hmm, I can spend the rest of my life watching my country continue to fade into the abyss of relevance or i can like shoot or shoot and i can take my fucking shot and see what happens um so yeah that's what he did for sure dude for sure and it's not to be taken lightly no um because i think he's seen some shit i think he's a man who's experienced and how many how many world leaders in the united states can you say you know they've actually experienced some shit They've actually right. been in the shit. Um, not to be trifled with. And I have a question for you. Um, why is it? Here's my question. Do you think that there is the East and the West and that Ukraine would have been better off as a buffer, kind of like a mix in between that it was a bad idea for them to join NATO. That yes. it would have been better if they kind of stayed as that buffer. Yes. It was a terrible the idea the West. for okay. us to invite Ukraine and NATO, in my opinion, one, because of just the predictable uh, inflammation it would cause and irritability it would yeah. cause with the Russian people and the Russian government. Yeah. And two, yeah, I don't really want NATO. Once a country becomes part of NATO, they're under the umbrella. And now we're like, it's not as simple as like, oh, come on into NATO, like come, come join the party. We are pledging allegiance to the point where if you are attacked, if you attack one, you attack all. I don't want to be over as like the only superpower in NATO as the United States. I don't want to so, be over. Well, uh, Canada's part of it too, right? Yeah. They're not a superpower. <laughs> I don't want to be overcommitted to countries that, yeah. you know what I mean? Like you want your alliance to be of like equally, you know, strength. No, exactly. no, like, no. Yeah. Right. It's like when you're a group of like, you know, right. Like, yeah. It's like when you're in a club and you're the giant dude and then your small buddy starts mouthing off to somebody and you're like, Hey dude, don't fucking, why don't, yeah. you, why don't you relax a little bit? Because you're going to, I'm going to have to fight your battle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. exactly. Exactly. You're about to get your ass handed to you, and I have to step in. Yeah, exactly. no, for sure. Yeah, no, it's just it's it's. And here's the other thing that's kind of strange to me, Jim. Back in 2014, Russia started rolling in on Ukraine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they and this is foreign to us, I guess, because because the, the, the fact of the matter is, Ukraine's a large landmass country, but they are nothing compared to Russia. And Russia surrounds them on pretty much two sides, yeah. three, almost three sides. Back in 2014, they rolled in and they took settlements on Ukrainian soil. And then I guess for the next fucking, how many years has it been? Seven or eight, yeah. Seven or eight years? They didn't do anything? Not that they could, but like that concept of like Mexico or Canada just showing up and saying, hey, this part of Montana, it's, it's ours now. We're going to start building bases here and we're going to ship exports over here and products and stuff. It's kind of, it's ours. Or, you know, invading fucking Miami, Mexico sets up shop and says, Hey, this is ours. Now we're taking this. 
it's kind of a weird concept in that for, I know that, I mean, I guess my answer to that question is Russia is a gigantic superpower country that just, yeah, rolled in and said, this is ours now. And uh, we promise we won't go any further. Uh, as long as you don't aggravate us, we won't aggravate you, but this is ours now. These settlements are ours now. Isn't it kind of a weird concept? Yeah, you've and had those, I mean, those settlements are on Russian territory or on or on Ukrainian territory, and for and, and they've been that way for seven years. And they've they've fought. There's been fourteen thousand deaths since since twenty fourteen. Right. But like, it's kind of strange to me. It also strange like what changed too. So like what 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 caused. Putin decide to do a full scale invasion instead of just continue to do that. Yeah, that is strange. I would I would say it's, it's up with, to get in the mind uh, of him. It really is. Yeah. Well, I would say it's with Zelensky or whoever the the, the ruler is now, just mm. kind of amping it up and amping it up. I know that he was he's been in since 2014, but um, I don't know. It is tough. It is tough to get into the mind of things. I don't know, man. All I all I can say is uh, you got to come up to something, some some sort of treaty, or I don't know. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think gonna, that I that's gonna... I think that's really important because we have to find a way. So we're waging this like economic warfare on Russia through sanctions, through companies no longer doing business. I mean, we've basically financially canceled them from the global system, which is going to. Go ahead. Well, what are we hoping for? Exactly. We're hoping that if we cripple their economy to nothing, which these sanctions will do that. Yeah. That it'll cause Putin and his cronies to I maybe pull out, which is not going to happen. It's or not going to happen. If he doesn't care enough, maybe enough for his people to revolt. Sure. Hopefully. I think it's unlikely. Um, given how much of a stranglehold the Russian like security forces and like just general system has, it's not like yeah, you know, you protest in the street, your ass is going to prison. <laughs> the gas prices went up to four dollars. I'm ready to storm the Capitol again. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's also another thing that really concerns me because. Let's, let's picture the situation like, okay, let's say Russia is a man with a gun and he has Ukraine as a man hostage. Okay. He has a gun. Let's say the gun, let's say the gun is metaphorically a a nuke. Okay. And I'm the police officer who comes in and I have a gun. That's also a nuke. I'm the United States and NATO. Yeah. Yeah. Like ultimately I can beat him because I have my gun trained on him and he has the gun trained on Ukraine. Yeah. yeah. But he still has a gun. Like, and what you don't do in like a hostage situation, because that's essentially what we find ourselves in. Because Putin has like, we've talked about his hyper nationalism. We've talked about his worldview. This is not going well for him. This, it's been a very difficult few weeks. Granted, it's very early, but they're not just like, they didn't just sack the capital. The Ukrainians didn't lay down their arms. Russian military members are being killed. It's kind of starting to look a little bit like a shit show. And yeah, yes, that's going to make him even more fucking pissed off right now. Mm-hmm. Now that strength he wanted to project is, is even looking worse and we're crippling his economy through these incredibly difficult sanctions. It just concerns me that we're backing him into a corner like yeah. this man with a gun, we're backing him into a corner instead of, you know, hostage, you're trying to like negotiate. And like, even once yep. they take their gun down, maybe then you'll like tackle him to the ground and arrest him, but you're not right. like going to oh, shoot yeah. him in the foot and then like throw a, a you know, and then tase him. And then like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're doing all these things. That's just like backing him in more into more into this corner of like, fuck Maybe My only option is like, world annihilation and if, and if i can't yeah. if russia can't have it then nobody can um and i know this is obviously just very simplified like phrases and, and metaphors i'm using i don't think it's that far off though and we have to find a way like i think the sanctions are way too harsh i don't think they're actually going to accomplish much of anything i think it's all big like theater um 
And ultimately, I don't want to force him into a corner where he feels like he's been humiliated and Rush has been humiliated. And the world ends. <laughs> so yeah. we have to find an off ramp to the situation that doesn't that allows him, even though we hate him, allows him to like save face because if he can't, that, that could be it, you know. Um, and I know this sounds like I sound like a very like Russian uh, apologist for a lot of things. Like yeah. I'm not saying that. Like I hate all the things that have happened, but I'm realistic about the fact that he's kind of crazy. He's very brash and he has the largest arsenal of nuclear warheads on the planet. Like, yeah, you know, invaded a country. But but like, we also have to understand, like, this is not, this isn't some despot. This isn't Idi Amin. This isn't Muammar Muammar Gaddafi, like complete lunatics who fucking dine on turtle eggs for breakfast every morning. Like, these are, this, this guy has an established country. Like, yeah, okay, he might be losing touch a little bit, but he's been running a country for a pretty good amount of time with a years. lot of people, Yeah, a lot of people, and a very heavy military budget. He There's money there. And their economy, yeah, it's, it's been shrinking over time, but, like, there's something to be said about the size of this country and that yeah. at one point um, – if you go back far enough in time, it might have looked identical to a European country of the same size. If you yep. go back far enough in time, right? These aren't mm-hmm. these aren't insurgents, right? This is an organized country, so um, it needs to be handled. Yeah, and with, I agree. With grace. If if I were. What would you if I were do, Jim, in charge? You're in you're in Joe Biden's depends right now. And what are you to do? What are you going to decide for this country? Yeah. So I I mean it's the cat's out of the bag with these sanctions, but like let's let's say we run rewind the clock, right? Like two weeks ago. Okay, boom, Russia invades. What are we gonna do? I would try to the greatest extent possible target my sanctions at the Russian government and the oligarchs. The problem is, and no one wants to admit this, the problem is we can't fucking sanction these oligarchs from Russia because all of their money is in shell company after shell company after shell company, which is then involved in American financial system. So basically, it's it's convoluted. We don't know who owns what. And we know- and all their money's in Robin. It, it, it could it could screw us. So there's another you know quiver in the cap of like stop yep. doing business just to make money, Wall Street yep. and all these corporations, and start fucking doing your job and stop like getting in bed with bad actors. Have some alliance to your, have some allegiance to your country, to your countrymen, to your people. Yeah. So essentially, we don't have like an exacto knife to use to do these sanctions. So all we have is like the sledgehammer to just sanction all of Russia, which is unfair to like the average Russian person who no longer will have, um, you know, the ability to like buy an iPhone in their life because Apple decided to pull all their products. Like those types of sanctions, I don't think are going to do anything except like really hurt the Russian people. And it's not going to change Putin's behavior personally. No, right. right. You got to to attack the top. I think he's like totally content letting the economy go to nothing because like I said, his, his stated intentions are much more like broad in terms of just like restoring Russian relevance. Um, I'm fine with lethal aid to the Ukrainians during a invasion but it's got to be at a at a tactical level, and what I mean by that is like, so there's tactical weapons, and then there's more like strategic level weapons, like a nuclear bomb or like a fighter jet that carries ballistic missiles is an like a strategic level weapon. Now you have things like a rifle or a grenade or an anti tank missile. That's more of a tactical. I'm fine with okay. giving like those weapons that like the random soldiers and like citizens of ukraine on the ground are going to use against russia there's a precedent for that we did it to them in afghanistan they did it to us in vietnam and then they did it to us in afghanistan as well i mean there's a precedent for this but i don't want to be sending like fighter jets and all kinds of high level shit 
to Ukraine. One, because I don't want to kick off a war. And two, I don't want to give Ukraine a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of our highest level military assets. I just don't. Like we've we've watched this happen before. We armed the Mujahideen in Afghanistan against the Russians, and then they were killing us with those weapons years later. Um, and you know, unfortunately, as much as the media would would like to make you believe it's not the case, Ukraine's not exactly an innocent actor in all of this. Like that's correct. Ukraine has some really bad just like our country does, like every country, but not every Ukrainian citizen is like an upstanding individual. And we can't just like give them all this U.S. taxpayer funded high level weaponry and without any thought of like, could this come back and bite us in the ass like it has in other, you know, conflicts. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, lethal aid at a level that like is, again, like that tactical boot level. Um absolutely i mean this is the hardest line i've taken but i just want to underscore it again zero nato or u.s involvement direct involvement in this whether it's a no fly zone whether it's boots on the ground absolutely cannot happen um domestically uh find a way to invest more in renewable energy for the long term and uh in the short term get the saudis and these other assholes to pump more oil for us um, because we're the united states and we give you billions of dollars of lethal military aid every year and we'll just cut that off if you don't want to pump us more oil like i don't know who you think you are but like we're the the big kid on the block not you um and cut the goddamn gas tax for the time being like we can't just that we can't just have american citizens getting crushed at the pump like cut the gas tax that might help 50 cents a gallon provide Mm -hmm. i'm not for this but this is an idea provide more stimulus checks you did it for during covid do it for the mass inflation we're dealing with. It's probably going to only worsen inflation, so I'm not for it, but it's an idea. Um, um, and then finally, like I said, offer an, there's got to be an off-ramp to Putin, a logical off-ramp. We cannot just be like, we're going to sanction you until you pull out. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. Does, has anyone asked him what he might want? Has anyone said it? Yeah, like, yeah, they did. Hey, uh, they Putin, the, the Ukrainians... <laughs> the Ukrainians and Russians uh, have had a couple like peace talks. It's no, gone no, nowhere. No, it, can't be, it can't be Zelensky because I think Zelensky is just uh, he's like a reality TV star or something like that. Yeah, I don't want him... acting like he's like like uh, he's, he's, a, like he's a, a hero. Fighter. He's a hero for what he's doing. Like I appreciate yeah. the fact that he's staying in his country and fighting. But no, like, there's like that typical like everyone's acting like this guy can like do no wrong. And like, now that he's asking for a no fly zone, we should just do it because he's he's beloved. Again, he's your, he's your smaller buddy. Who's, who's, I'm not gonna say he's starting fights, but he's not backing down from a fight uh, to a man who's three times his size. I don't want him at the table. I'd like two equally gigantic men, United States or, or whatever, sitting at the table. Even China. With, I don't care. Whoever can broker Russia this piece, or China. I don't care. Have China broker it yep. and then say, hey, what do you want? And then Russia comes back and says, this is what I want. They are never to join NATO ever, period, ever. We keep the settlements we have. Won't we join keep, the EU. Yep. We keep the crime. We keep Crimea. Okay. Well, if you're going to keep Crimea, we want to see you pay ukraine x amount of dollars a year or or allow this much resources into their country or blah 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 blah. this is the this is the agreement we come to these are the red lines this is what it's going to be and you know we don't want to see any aggression for the next blah 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 20 25 40 50 years da 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 whatever um and draw a line in the sand i don't think it can be between ukraine and russia anymore because i don't i don't know if Russia doesn't see Ukraine as a peer, right? So they're going to sit there. They don't respect. And not them, only clearly. that, not like only that, but like their their elections have been called uh, have been called into question. It was called into question back when they ousted Viktor Yanukovych, the guy who was sympathetic to Russia. And who's to say that when the next guy came into office, the Zelenka guy or Zelenka, whatever his name is, who's to say that 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 was all on the up and up. I, I don't know. But the bottom line is have a couple of superpowers hash it out. Like it's always been, <laughs> you know, it's always been that way. And one of those eyes, eyes wide shut parties. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one of those orgies Putin lifts up his mask. He sees Joe Biden. They sit across from the table and 
Xi Jinping gets there and he goes, okay, let's talk. What are we, what are we doing here? What do you want? What do you want? And if he says, I want Ukraine a hundred percent, completely, totally absorbed within, uh, within Russia as a country, then you say, okay, well, that's not going to work. We got to figure something out uh, else out. This isn't going to work. And that's the only thing you want. Then I, what do you want to do? Do you want to fight a bunch of proxy wars for the next 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years? And I then, hate to say it, but if that's what he wants, I have no issue with the Ukrainians fighting him tooth and nail, but I'm not willing to stop him from taking it either. Yeah. By the way, yeah, and, 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 and I hate to say this to the Ukrainians out there. You've been, again, you've been surrounded. You're... I don't understand why. I know we tried to break up the Soviet Union, but like, what a bad spot to stick a country, like literally in the <laughs> shadow of, of the largest landmass country. And they're like sitting there poking it with a stick. Like, what, were the, what was the thought process? Yeah. It's like when you see them drawing up where, like when, when initially Israel and Palestine was going to be like drawn up, <laughs> yeah. you see that map, you're like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah. I want one line right down the middle, right down the middle. You get this, you get this, but there's like circles and questions. There's the Gaza Strip and yeah. None of it yeah, makes yeah. any sense. None of it makes any sense. And I don't understand why some arbiter, and in the case of Palestine and, and, and Israel, like America could say, man, said, no, 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 we're not doing that line right down the middle this is you this is the i'm giving everybody a week to move into your country that you belong <laughs> into that's all you get is a week after that you're fair you might get killed in the street i don't know it could happen line in the middle two sides that's it i don't understand why it couldn't be that simple and again i'm speaking from a country that's been unified since the 1700s you know, I know we're a diverse country, but we don't argue over boundary lines and stuff like that. We've been unified since that time period. So, you know, I don't uh, have a dog necessarily in this fight, but it is interesting to me that, like, Ukraine has no problem with provocation. When you look at a map and you're like, this is this is what's going on here, geographically at least. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't I mean I don't think they provoked anything this time around. I think this was pretty unprovoked by Russia. Now they're fighting them. And, you know, that's their prerogative, man. And if they want to fight yeah. to the death, by all means. Hey, I'm always going to root for the underdog. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Again, they we, we, they're not going to be able to. That's the thing, right? Like, they're not going to be able to. And I, I'm not willing to risk world war or American deaths. I'm just not. Um I support their cause to fight, you know, for their freedom and sovereignty. We would do the same here, but you know, it's uh it's not in our strategic interest, period. And nuclear war is not something I want to dabble in. So and I think that's a great statement. And folks at home, if you have any insight or thoughts about Ukraine or Russia, I'd like you to write a letter and mail it to P.O. Box 1765 <laughs> that's in Bainbridge, Ohio. And uh, if you have any thoughts on the subject and uh, maybe some disagreements what we had to say, you're more than welcome to write into that P.O. Box and uh, let us know about it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just something we wanted to talk about, kind of expand uh, maybe what you had originally thought of. And what I want to say is that don't, don't always believe what you hear and see. Don't always believe in in, in what comes comes at you um, from the talking heads. You know, do what research you can and kind of go with your gut. Is my opinion. Um, and um, you know, the world is is always changing and it's always teetering and. Uh, you know, we live in interesting times. Jim, yeah. your final thoughts. I don't have any today. I think I said my piece and I'm I want, interested I want, yeah. to see what happens over the next, God, few weeks, few months. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think it's going to be a long, you know, drawn out thing, though. I really do. I don't think they're going anywhere and I don't think the Ukrainians are going to stop fighting. So 
Um, buy your vodka now. It's about I'm, to go up in price. I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, the government, the American government, can withstand the um, the onslaught by the American people at the at the behest of like our idiotic media trying to you know march us to war. Um, yeah, the American people right now are very against any kind of U.S. intervention. But that shit can change very quickly. We've been against intervention since the Cuban Missile Crisis. I mean, truly, we have. We didn't I mean, want to invade. We didn't want to invade Cuba. The Joint Chiefs of Staff wanted us to. We've been against that kind of conflict probably since Vietnam. Wars yeah, well, we went into the Iraq War, so that's true. That is. That true. was also after 9/11. I mean, you just you don't know how people are going to react to events, even though 9/11 had nothing to do with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. I mean, it's I just, think we've learned. I think it's a learning experience for us as well. I don't know if they can. We have very short memories. <laughs> We're very easily well, distracted. So yes, we are. God bless America. I just God bless them. God bless. God Greatest bless country in the history of civilization. Well, folks, I appreciate you uh, listening to us here uh, today on a tall glass of podcast. Join us next time. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, man.